Welcome. Um, Merry Christmas to you all, especially uh, to the Ogles that are back. Great to see you, Tyler and Kylie. And, and if uh, you're just here for the holidays, we're thrilled that you're joining. And I would encourage you to join us, even if you don't live here, in our study in Romans. It's been life-giving so far, and I hope uh, today will be the same for you. If you have your Bible, why don't you just go to Romans chapter 2. We're going to continue. This is our Christmas series because I think Paul's letter to this church in Rome sets us up to think about Advent, which is just a reminder in our memory of the coming of God in the person of Jesus. This whole season is an annual reminder uh, because we are quick to forget the story of God and what he's doing in the world and where God is taking the world. Jesus' coming wasn't just an ancient event. It's an ancient event that has today implications. And I hope that you'll see that as we look at the scriptures uh, this morning. Can't wait to see you guys in a few days on the 24th, Saturday night right here. It's, gonna, it's a highlight of the year. If you're in town, uh, don't miss it. And this is probably the most open time of the year, even more than Easter, I think, to people thinking about Jesus because Christmas and gift giving. So if you've been thinking about inviting that friend or or neighbor or coworker to some church thing, uh, Christmas Eve would be ideal. It's songs and it's joy and it's scripture reading. And my message will be very, very clear. Come to Jesus now. That's the cliff notes. A few more words in that, maybe. But basically, come follow Jesus. All right. So you're in Romans. Romans is the good news for everyone. And we're going to look from the middle of Romans, chapter 2. But let's start by reading uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, you therefore have no excuse, you pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Last week, if you missed it, we were reminding ourselves in light of Romans 1, which talks about how off we've gotten from God's uh, plan, from God's vision for human flourishing. It shows up in our sexuality. It shows up in the way we think. It shows up in pride. It shows up in all sorts of ways. If you look at the end of Romans 1, there's a list that's so thorough, you're going to see your name. You're going to see you at the end of the list of brokenness. Everyone has broken God's design. We have. You have. But Romans 2 is telling us in light of that, we need to be careful about pointing the finger Because when we choose to judge other people and their brokenness, we are sometimes forgetting that we're on the same list. So that doesn't mean that we don't evaluate. Of course we evaluate. In one sense, we judge. I know what God's vision is. I know what my vision is. I am as hard as it is. I'm going to go for God's vision. In a sense, that's judging. But I'm not going to point the finger at you and say, you're the one who's in the wrong Because I'm not God. And we saw last week the reason, the big reason, as followers of Jesus, we don't go around pointing the finger, is God has already designed a day. You remember from last week, the day of what? The day of the Lord. It is what God had been talking about from the beginning. The day when God puts the world to rights, when God takes all the brokenness and removes it, and he remakes the universe into the way it was supposed to be. And we, who follow Jesus, live with God, with his vision. Right now, we do it in part, but the world's a bit of a mess. Would you agree? 
So it's hard to fully follow God and his vision with all the brokenness in my life and the brokenness around me. But there is a day coming and that day. Now, how do I know in light of the day of Jesus, the day of the Lord, how do I know that I'm in the right? How do I know that I'm on the right side? And, and, and when it comes to God's judgment, where am I going to be? That's the second half of Romans chapter 2. Where, where's your confidence right now? If, if the day of the Lord, if God's day were like now, and by the way, Jesus said it's going to come like a thief in the night, you're not going to know it. God's, God's full and right judgment on the world. Remember, judgment isn't the neg- negative, it isn't the punished day. It's the judgment is when God simply does what is just, when God puts the broken pieces back together. Where are you going to be? Well, look at Romans 2. 17, because there were some in the church that had confidence in God, but it was misplaced. It's possible to misplace your confidence. Say, I'm okay because, and then let's just look at this group in the church. Now you, verse 17, who call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for those who are in the dark, if you're an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, let's just remind ourselves, who is, who is Romans written to? It's written to a small local church in the megacity. Multi-million people in the city, maybe 100 people in this church. 200 if you're exaggerating. And so in a church, probably less than in this room, there's a mix. And remember, whenever we're reading Romans, it's not written to one kind of Jesus follower. It's written to all kinds. And so there are two major groups. There are those who are from a Jewish background. And then there are those who didn't have the Bible growing up, who came from a different religious system heard the good news of Jesus and chose to follow him. So Romans is written to a mixed bag, just like we're a mixed bag. Some of you, you went to church growing up as a kid and Christmas and Easter and the stories, that's, that's part of your life. Some of you, this is brand new. You came from a different worldview or maybe just you weren't instructed in any particular system, but now you find yourself compelled by Jesus. Now, you just need to know what's written here is written to one group. It's written to the Jew. Look at verse 17. You, if you call yourself a Jew. So this isn't written to most of us, but you're going to see yourself here in a minute. What does Paul say to those who say, I'm, I'm confident on the day of the Lord, I'm going to be okay. First thing he says is a misplaced confidence is those of you who trust the law. The law. 
Uh, what is what is that all about? If you think law, if I think law, I'm, I immediately go to rules. So those of you who trust the rules, it's actually, that's just one slice of the pie. The law, when Paul uses it, and by the way, he uses it 74 times in Romans alone. 74 times. This word's going to come up. When you think law, you could also translate it, because Paul is a Jew, and in Hebrew, the word that summarized scriptures, particularly the first five books, but the scriptures was Torah or the teaching or scripture. You can almost every, there's a couple of places that are more about rules, but most of the time, if you're reading Romans, just substitute scripture. If you, verse 17, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the scriptures and boast in God. So in the scriptures, there are some do's and don'ts, but he's saying to this group, Just because God gave you Torah, just because he gave you. Now, why were they boasting in it? There are all sorts of philosophies in Rome, all sorts of writers, all sorts of religious literature. The Jews, though, prided themselves. The creator entrusted one group with his vision for the world. One group. And it was their ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, heard the words of God. And then Moses, after they're freed from from Egypt, are given on a mountain. God comes and says, here's what I'm doing in the world. Moses, tell my people how to live in my way. So what was a gift became a sense of pride. And so the Jewish people... Whereas you had Aristotle and Plato and all sorts of philosophies at the time of Jesus, what, what the Jews prided themselves is, yeah, that's a teaching, that's a teaching, that's a teaching. We have, though, the words of God. And if you want to know what the Creator is thinking, you have to listen to his words given to our people. It became, in a sense, a bit of status for them because they had what no one else had. And so the Jews felt like they had an advantage. And here's the problem with status. If you've ever gotten status in something, it could twist things a bit. I, I travel a bunch, so I fly Delta just because, right? Because they, where I go in the world, they go uh, most of those places cheaper. And so if you could fly on the same airplane but be in a different status, I don't know if you realize that. You could be a nobody, sorry, no offense for those of you occasional travelers. Or you could be gold or, I'm sorry, silver or or gold, or platinum, or diamond, which just sounds better, right? So, so this year, I happen to be uh, Delta Diamond. That means you fly 125,000 miles in a year. So what happens when you fly that much? You get your own lane with a red carpet. So we're at the airport. I'm not with you. I, 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 have, I have status. So I could get on when I want, and I... I get, I, are you choosing seats? I, I choose them before you. <laughs> I, got, I get better seats, right? And when we're all flying, I am accruing more miles, so I get more seats. And if flying domestically, it's almost guaranteed, I'm getting upgraded to first class for free. If we're in an airport and we're stuck, I get in the club for free. Now, now I didn't deserve any of that. For some reason, uh, Delta says, if you do this, we'll, we'll provide you with status. Now, that's not that big of a deal. And you, it happens in all sorts of uh, ways and all sorts of places in life. Maybe you're in sales and you're, you sell more than anyone else and you get the bonus trip, right? Or, 
whatever you're in in life, there, there are levels. And status is okay until it gets to your head, right? So I kid you not, I'm a decent follower of Jesus, except at the airport. I, like at the airport, something switches in my brain. And if it doesn't go my way and I don't get what I want, don't they realize who I am? And it's a weird thing. I, I didn't pay, it was gifted to me. I, I just showed up and bought a Delta ticket. And because of that, I gained something. And in the same way, although in a deeper way, the Jewish people at the time of Jesus and in the early church, they felt like, They had status with God. They felt like because God had gifted them with the words, the law, the teaching, Torah, that they were more important and in a sense better than everyone else. Now, God did give them special status. This is where it gets tricky. God did say to Abram, I am going to work through your family line. God did make an agreement and a covenant For endless generations, I'm going to use you. But you need to know this, and we talk about it all the time. God's calling of Abraham and his family wasn't to give them the diamond card so that they can get a first-class ticket. God's calling of Abraham is that the whole world would see how good God is. The calling was not so they could flash their badge and say, look how great we are. The calling was when you follow God, Abraham and your kids, people are going to be attracted to me. They're going to see that life in God is better and they're going to want the God who made them rather than their false gods. So the calling was never to puff them up. But unfortunately, Delta has messed me up or I've let Delta get into my Head. So what, what does Paul do here? Let's just look at the text because he's going to see two signs that the Jews held on to that were not healthy when it comes to thinking of their place in God. And the reason we're reviewing these, some of them don't exactly parallel. Most of us aren't Jewish. But if we're not careful, as followers of Jesus, we can get puffed up or we could put our hope in things that are not solid, that are not right. So what does he say to the Jews? In verses 17 to 24, he just calls out eight things that describe their confidence. Let's just read them off really quick. You who call yourself a Jew, they were God's chosen people, which was true. You who rely on the law, they they had God's words, they memorized it. Most of the other nations didn't know God's vision. You who boast in God because God made an agreement with Abraham and his line to be born a Jew meant that you were born with the capacity to walk in God's ways because you had his law and you had his presence. So this was a gift. You who know his will. And then then as a result of that, what did the Jews feel like they could do? You who are a guide for the blind and are a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of of children. The the point is, he's, he's poking at, Those in the church who had a Jewish heritage who felt because they had a better, like, background, somehow in Jesus, they had a better place. And he says to the Jews in the church, verse 21, let's just read verse 21 again. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, 
do you steal? And he says anything about adultery and, and robbing. You who boast in having the scriptures, knowing Torah, knowing God's ways, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? This is an extension of Romans 2 verse 1. Why are you going to judge someone else and where they're at when you look at your own life? Do you practice what you preach is what we would say. And it's one thing to say that you really are walking with Jesus in name. It's another thing to say you're actually walking in Jesus in practice. And so he's going to touch on their background, not to put the Jews down, but Romans is the good news for everyone. So you had in the church, and we have it here, some of you who know the Bible and you've been trained and you've studied, some of you are brand new, and, and, and Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you know, whatever. And there's a book of Numbers, but there's words in the book of Numbers. That's confusing. Like you look at the scriptures and you're like, I, I'm going to keep going. I'll sing the songs, but I don't know what's going on here. That's what they had and that's what we have. And so he says to the people who do have a little more background, hey, that's a blessing. But don't think that just because of your background, you're actually qualified to teach. And don't think that because of your background, you're qualified to preach to others. You know what the qualification is? Do you do what God says? Do you know you could be three months in following God and be, if this were a race and being a guy, everything is. If this were a race, you could be three months into following Jesus and ahead of someone who's 30 years in following Jesus. Absolutely. And I've actually seen it. People, one, two, three years who have no background start reading, understanding, living out God's ways. And then I see some of my friends who've been following for 10, 20, 30 years. And I look at this person who's been just doing it a few years and thinking, how is it that they seem to be more intimate with God than someone who's got this long track record? It's because of confidence. Paul says to the Jews, but I think also to us, our confidence shouldn't be in the fact that God has given us what's good and right and beautiful. Our confidence comes when we actually live out what God says. And so don't point the finger at someone else until you actually follow the God of the book. Does that make sense? So that's one false confidence. So, so what happens as a result? Verse 25, as it is written, and then Paul, he quotes Isaiah 52 verse 5. You just need to know this as you read Romans. Romans, which is scripture to us, it's God's words to us, is quote, Paul is quoting again and again scripture to him. So in the scripture, you have scripture quoted. It's why we read the Old and New Testament because Paul is pulling on what God said to tell us what God is saying. And so he quotes Isaiah uh, 52, verse 5. God's name is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. Long story short, in Isaiah 52, uh, Isaiah is reminding God's people, God's calling on you was to be a light to the Gentiles. Those who don't know God should know God by seeing you. But you have become so corrupt, you don't follow God's ways, you go after other things, you're not living the life because of you, speaking to the Jews, 
God's name isn't seen as holy. You're supposed to be light and other people are getting a twisted view of God. Do you see like the practical application when we think about our life today? Other people's view of God can be helped or skewed by looking at you, by looking at me. Feel the pressure? Merry Christmas. This is why we don't point the finger. Because Paul's going to say again and again and again, it's the grace of Jesus that enables us to follow Jesus. And so we don't point the finger at one another because what God wants is everyone to follow him. And the way he does it is some follow him and then show that light to other people, which for us is the beauty of Christmas. It's our reminder to the world that it's Jesus' is coming that changes everything, not another gift card. It's Jesus that changes everything. And so knowing what God requires and doing them are two different things. And so when you think about your confidence, why is it that you feel like on the day of the Lord, you're going to stand in the right? It's not about knowing what God requires. It's about living in his way. And so we are going to give an account for our life. And that's not a downer. That's a beautiful thing. Because like we said last week, we need to remind ourselves this week, I'm going to be able to stand on the day of the Lord, not because my list of achievements are greater than my list of failures. It's because the list of Jesus' achievement has been placed on my life. And I'm standing in, in his step. I'm standing with Jesus who is altogether the embodiment of grace and truth. And so because I've accepted God's gift of love and mercy, I will be able to stand on that day. Now, the Jews, as a, um, as a whole, not everyone, as a whole, tended to lean on what they had received rather than grace. And so Paul reminds the Jewish believers, like he reminds us, it's God's grace that changes everything. It's, it's not your achievement. Never is. And when it comes to achievement, he's going to give us the second thing. So the Jews, they, they, for the most part, relied on three things. He only covers two here. The fact that they had the temple, God's place. He doesn't mention that here. He's going to mention the temple later when he talks about the Holy Spirit. But the three things of confidence were the temple, the Torah, the law, and the third thing, the sign of God's agreement. Look at verse 25. So circumcision has value if you observe Torah or scriptures. But if you break the scriptures, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So, so there's value in the sign, but the value is lost if you actually don't do what God says. Verse 26. So then, if you who are not circumcised, who don't have the sign, keep scripture's requirements will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? I just need to pause here because this is an ancient argument that some are like, what? Um, there was a sign that God was in lifelong agreement with a group of people, and it was the sign of circumcision. And what Paul is saying here is absolutely mind-blowing if you're not a Jew. Because to be a Jew was to have the outward sign. It was to have that mark on your body. And it happened, if you read Genesis 17, 
when God spoke to Abram on the eighth day that a baby was to be born, a male, they were to have the sign of God's presence. It was what made you one. I would know who are the people of God because every male, and if you weren't born into it, when you're an adult and you became a Jew, you were marked with the sign and it was a cutting. And some of you say, well, circumcision, that's just so weird. What's up with that? It's when you know the symbol that you realize, oh, here's the symbol. In the time of Abraham, when you did a contract, people didn't write because paper uh, was parchment and leather and expensive and hard to travel and carry. And so you did something symbolic in the presence of the elders. You get the leaders in the community, and if I was going to buy land from you, right, and I didn't have the money, but I have a farm, and I would say, hey, for the next four years, I'm going to give you X amount, and that's going to pay off the land. I'm buying it now, and here's my payment plan, and I get the elders, and I get some dust from the ground. I would throw it up in the air and let it fall on my head, and that would be a sign to everyone around if I break our agreement and I don't pay you, may it be like the dust. May I go like the dust of the ground. May I die. They would take an animal and they would cut it in half and you would walk through it. And it was very symbolic. It was their way of like a, a seal and a signature. It was your credit check in a weird way. You would say, may it be like this animal. May I die and my bones go into the ground if I break my treaty or my agreement with you. So the sign, hear this, the sign was the penalty if you broke the agreement. The sign was important. Now let's think of circumcision. So God comes to Abram and says, I want you to be my people and I'm gonna be with you. I'm totally for you. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna prosper you. I'm gonna protect you. And, and I'm, I'm inviting you to life with me and um, that means you're with me and with nobody else. And here is the sign. On the male, a cut where life continues. What, what God's people were doing is we're saying, if we ever leave God, may our family line be cut off. May our future be cut off. The sign was a symbol, an outward symbol of the penalty of disobedience. So outward signs were important. By being proud of your circumcision, what you were saying was, I am in, I'm in God's family. I'm in relationship with God. I have not been cut off. I am in God. And what Paul says to this group of Christians is, okay, now you want, you want Jesus following non-Jews to get circumcised, saying that if they ever leave God, may they be cut off. Wait a minute, in light of Jesus, that no longer makes sense. So in light of that, let's read verse 26 again. If, you, if those of you who are not circumcised, you actually live out God's commands, will you not be regarded as though you were? Having the law doesn't rescue you. It's obedience. Having the sign on the outside that you're like marked out by God, that doesn't rescue you. It's obedience to Jesus. And those of you who actually live the Jesus life, you walk in his ways, you follow the way of Jesus, it's as though you have the sign. 
Now, he's going to tease out what that means in verse 27. The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the scriptures will condemn you, speaking to the Jews, even though you have the written code, Ten Commandments, the Torah, and circumcision, who are a lawbreaker. What Paul's saying is the confidence that we have, and this is why we wanted to share this leading up to Christmas, the confidence that I have is not that I have a scripture or that I have some outward sign like Christian or a fish or a Bible or a study book. Or a, or a list of podcasts or music, you know. If I have enough Christian stuff, certainly I'm a Jesus follower. Really? What Paul is saying is, now he's saying this to the Jews, but it applies to everyone, is our confidence is never in this external stuff. Look at verse 28. A person is not a Jew who is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical, which, by the way, circumcision was outward and physical. But Paul, in light of Jesus, is taking everything God has said and now putting it through the filter of Jesus. What were outward symbols were pointing towards something greater. Verse 29, no, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision, and underline this, of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Circumcision of the heart. What in the world is that? Now, you just need to know this. Paul doesn't make up the idea. He doesn't make up like, you know, everything's like of the heart now. And like Jesus, he's actually read the Bible. Circumcision was never just to be an outward physical sign that says, you're God's people, and if you don't have it, you're not, because those who are God's people have taken the oath. May this curse come on me if I ever leave God, which, by the way, all of Israel in all generations left God. So they should have been cut off. Yet the Bible is a story of God's grace. God takes a rebellious people who gave an oath with the cutting, we will follow Yahweh. They failed to, and God doesn't reject them. So people are faithless, and God is faithful. And that's just grace. Grace is when, when I don't measure up to my part, but God covers my multitude of failures. That's grace. You don't want God's justice. <laughs> You're going to get it on the day of the Lord, but you don't want God's justice. What you want is God's mercy and God's grace and God's freedom and God's forgiveness. You want a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance, and you want God to cover over your rebellion, not give you what you deserve. And so he says to the Jewish people, because they had a propensity, because they had Torah, they had the temple, they had circumcision, to now have a bit of the chip on the shoulder that says, we're more God's people in the church than you are. So actually, you should live like a Jew because we're the people of God. And Paul says, hello, it's keeping God's ways that makes you his child, not just having it, and you don't keep it. And that outward sign, that's okay, but what God is always after is a change of heart. So Deuteronomy 10, I'll throw it on the screen, verse 15 and 16, the Lord, this is Moses They've been given the law 40 years prior, 
right, as they left Egypt. And now they were given it on the mountain within three months. 39 plus years later, they're about to go in the land of promise. But the older generation failed to keep God's ways and they died. But there's a younger generation who heard God's ways. And so look at what Moses does to remind them. The Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked, rebellious, disobedient any longer. So living with God has never been about rule following primarily. Now, rules are helpful because they lay a track because everything could be subjective. Wouldn't you agree? Sport, whatever sport you enjoy would actually not be fun if there weren't some basic guidelines. Like if there weren't, if it's football, because this is football season, if, if there were no out of bounds, just throw it and run wherever you want. Run into the stands. Run, run, run anywhere. Well, what, what gives you a first down? Well, it's 10 yards, not 12, not 15. So the rules aren't bad if they guide the game, right? But we weren't, we weren't meant just to follow rules. We were meant to walk in step with God. And God's heart for you is to walk in step. So his scriptures guide us in the way. But if for you, it is all about the rules, it is impossible, hear me, to live with joy if life is all about the rules. Because inevitably, I'm going to fall short of the rules. And so if you feel like you haven't measured up, join the club. We're the grace people. Now the grace people recognize that I don't deserve any of this, but because Jesus kept the rules, not as a legalist, but he honored God, I now get to live in Jesus who is perfect at it and as one of his followers, I get to grow in being more in step with him. That is Christmas. It's not that I get it right. It's that God gets it right. It's that I'm faithless but God is still faithful. So what Paul does, though, and you need to catch this, Paul goes one step further than any of the Old Testament prophets. By the way, Jeremiah 4.4 and other places, the prophets reminded the people, circumcise your hearts, circumcise your hearts. They already had the external, but it didn't make a difference on the inside. And I think most of us here in this room know someone who says they're following Jesus on the outside, but when you look at the heart, it's kind of, hard to find any evidence of that. I think that church buildings are filled with people, and this isn't pointing the finger, this is just exposing reality, filled with people who name Jesus on the outside, but there's little desire on the inside to actually be transformed to live like Jesus. And so all Paul is doing is saying, Jews, don't point the finger at your brothers and sisters because we all need grace. And we all need to live in light of what Jesus has done. So Paul says, all of the circumcision happens by the Holy Spirit. So no longer is the sign of following Jesus Torah, temple, or this outward sign of circumcision. So you're gonna see Paul say it in all of his letters. If you are a non-Jewish and get circumcised to somehow follow the scriptures, 
you've wasted everything and you don't get the gospel. The outward signs are good if you already have them, but the mark of the true Jesus follower is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And here's the good news. You don't have to be Jewish to receive the Spirit. And here's the good news. You could be non-Jewish and receive the Spirit. Jesus comes and lives within everyone who trusts him, period. Grace. That means I could have no church background and say, Jesus, save me and receive God's presence, God's Holy Spirit. And because I have God's Holy Spirit, I can now live out God's vision in my world. So I'm not here to say now, because all of Romans is going to expose grace. Next week, or the next Sunday that we're together, uh, on January the 1st, we're going to look at the end of Paul's argument. Remember, all of this is one long argument. God is always right, we're not. We're still stuck in that section. We're going to end it the next time. When you look at Romans 3, verses 1 to 8, and I encourage you to do it, you're going to find that there's some people thinking, great, grace is so good, I, I could do whatever I want. This is awesome. Who doesn't want a religious system where you get all the benefits with no work? Right? Who wouldn't want that? But, but Paul's going to shut that down in a moment at the end of this argument and to say, no, God's goodness is a motivation for me to want to live like Jesus. And it's never a license to sin. So let's just think about us and let's respond in worship uh, and let's move our hearts towards the celebration of Advent, towards the celebration of the coming of Jesus. All right, life in God. In, in, in what way do we do the same thing? What are you leaning on right now as your hope and your confidence for life in God? Is it, is it your relatives? I'm just going to stick to the ones that are just super obvious. There may be another one that I don't hit. I think, you know, my wife, she's really passionate. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm with her. Or I'm with him. If your footing, if your confidence is in that your relatives are passionate about Jesus following, can't you now see that that just misses the point? God wants the circumcision of the heart. He wants to come to your deepest part to transform you at the deepest level. And he's not satisfied in just doing that for your mom or dad or your brother or sister or your spouse or your roommate. He wants that with you. So my confidence isn't in my relatives. It's my confidence is in that Jesus is doing the work in me. He's given me the spirit. Um, outward signs. And we get this a bunch. You know, I was baptized as a child. I went to a church and I was confirmed. I was baptized. And so I have life in God. And I want to be very culturally sensitive because that's what's been taught. But can't you just see how that flies in the face of what Paul's saying in Romans 2. There's no external sign that I can show the world to say, now I'm okay. It's of the heart. So if you were, if you were confirmed as a child and you were baptized as a child, and then when you became aware, you started following Jesus, fantastic. But put your confidence in your following Jesus. Not in that early thing. The early thing was really for your parents so that they would hope and pray that you would follow him. But, but it's your following Jesus that makes the difference. 
It's your following Jesus that actually enables the Spirit to do the work in your heart. It's not the external sign. Or, or maybe you were 25 and baptized, but you're not, you're not really following him, but everyone else was, man. I was like, I was like, yeah, I felt it. Whatever it is, I felt. And so I was baptized. Um, well, I, I think that's a great, it is the outward sign that we have been transformed within. But my hope isn't in my baptism. My hope's in Jesus. Um, let, let's do the, I, I'm, a, I'm like, I'm not as bad as. Because we compare ourselves with ourselves, which is so selective. But we do it. We all do it. Or, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm going hard. I'm going to church. I'm, 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 I, I am. You catch that? The Jews were confident in what they had and what they did. And the Jesus follower, the sign of the work of the Spirit is like, I had Jack. I came with nothing but baggage, and Jesus saved me. And my hope is not in that I was baptized after or before. My hope is not that I go to church or read the Bible. My hope is not that I have Christian friends or listen to Christian radio or put a fish on my car. All those things, those are external, and they could come or they could go. My hope is in Jesus's keeping of God's ways perfectly as giving me the ability to now have the Holy Spirit who can help me keep God's ways. And I hope that for you. So the good news is God's given a spirit to every person who believes. So with that, two questions to walk us into Christmas. And I hope that this week, that I hope in the final days that you shut off your spam email, which is telling you it's 20% off. It's been 20% off all year, okay? That you... You'll actually take the time this week to prepare your heart every day. What do I do? I don't care. Do something that's gonna lean your heart towards Jesus every day this week. So when we gather Christmas Eve, our hearts are already full. We've allowed the Spirit to expose lies. We've confessed them. We've received grace and mercy. And then we come and celebrate it. Question number one, where is your hope for life in God? if it's in anything other than what Jesus is and has done for you, then it's a misplaced hope. Secondly, for those of you in Jesus, how are you partnering with the Holy Spirit? Because the Spirit gives me the ability to have my inner being cut to God. That implies that the Holy Spirit is wanting to actively work on me chipping away the things that are unlike Jesus and reforming me to live like Jesus. So let me ask you, Jesus follower, this Christmas season, how are you partnering with the Spirit of God day by day, week by week, not as a guilt trip, but as an exercise for growth? Are you inviting God to make you more like Jesus? Guess what? Christmas reminds us that's why He came, so that we would live the abundant life, the Jesus vision. And God wants that for you. So what we want to do is, before we sing, we want to give room because we, we believe that the Spirit doesn't just talk about things like this, but the Holy Spirit does things like this. So we were praying before you showed up that when you heard this, God himself would touch a part of your life that is maybe out of tune with God and that God in his grace would tell you what he wants to do, 
and what he's asking you to do. And my friend, it's always both. God says, here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna provide joy, I'm gonna provide freedom, I'm gonna provide peace, I'm gonna provide forgiveness, I'm gonna provide whatever it is. But then he's going to, watch, he's going to say, and in light of what I am doing for you, here's how to walk in my way. So to, uh, this morning we wanna listen. And I'm gonna invite you now, put your Bible aside unless you are, unless God's putting a passage if that's the case, go to it and read it. But, but, but put the stuff aside and I invite you to close your eyes, not because it's a spiritual tip to get you in tune with God, but it is practically helpful when I'm not looking at everybody else to think about what matters most. And I'm gonna ask you now to invite the Holy Spirit to begin to reveal to you God's goodness, God's grace, God's love, God's joy, God's peace. And that you would receive it as a gift. Not because you've been good this week, but because God loves you that much. And, and while he's showing you how good he is, that you'll be open to hearing his voice that's calling you to live in the way of Jesus. And that means saying no to some things. Not as legalistic, but as life-giving. So listen to the voice of the Spirit. Write it down. And in a few minutes, we'll sing in response uh, and worship.